Guys, welcome to the podcast. This is going to be a fun episode talking about elk hunting, archery elk hunting in Arizona Unit 8, but I think a lot of the information that you hear on this podcast can be carried over to any unit in Arizona and any unit uh, actually in the Southwest, so hopefully you get a lot of uh, good, valuable information off of this podcast. Before we get into the episode, guys, I want to uh, thank the sponsors of this podcast, and I want to remind you guys or I guess let you guys know that GoHunt.com, the title sponsor of this podcast, has extended uh, the $1,000 giveaway. So they are uh, giving away, they gave away a $1,000 gift card to the GoHunt gear shop to anyone that purchased anything from the gear shop, whether it be uh, any type of gear uh, by ordering off the website or calling Cody Nelson, the optics manager. But all of the gear, all you had to do was buy anything and get entered into the drawing. If you spent $12, you got 12 entries. If you spent $2,000, you got 2,000 entries. Well, they had such a good response that they are going to extend that for the month of July. So all you have to do is go to GoHunt.com, go to the gear shop, order anything on the gear shop. Or call Cody Nelson at 702-847-8747, extension 2. Tell him you want to be in the J. Scott drawing for the $1,000 gift card. If you're ordering online, use the J. Scott 19 promo code, and that's going to get you into that drawing for that $1,000 gift card. I want to thank Go Hunt for their sponsorship. I want to thank Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you guys have any optical needs at all, binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, you've got glassing questions, uh, anything to do with optics, give him a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also email him at optics at gohunt.com. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, you can find out more about Kuyu going to kuiu.com. Uh, Kuyu is the ultralight hunting gear that I wear on all of my hunts. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank phonescope.com. If you use the jscott19 promo code, you're going to get 10% off on all orders. That's the digiscoping device that I use on my iPhone X. If you're on my Instagram page and you see the videos and the photos, uh, that are taken through a spotting scope uh, or my binoculars. That's from a phone scope adapter. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. And then onxmaps.com. Uh, if you go to onxmaps.com, if you use the jscott19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount on all orders. I use Onyx Maps virtually every day, whether I'm fishing, hunting, uh, looking at property, whatever I'm doing. I love the private and public land overlays showing you exactly uh, who owns the property and where your location is. I love the breadcrumb feature. I love the satellite, the aerial, uh, the topo, the hybrid mode. Um, I use it on my hikes, tracking my distance uh, and my speed. It's, it's just a great uh, application. Uh, definitely go check out uh, onxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code and you're going to get a 20% discount. Guys, let's get right to this episode. If you've got any questions, comments, you can uh, send them to me, direct message on Instagram. That's at jscottoutdoors. You can also email me, uh, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're going to have a fun episode with Jerry Shabernaw. And Jerry has drawn a Unit 8 Arizona Archery Elk tag, and he had sent me an email uh, saying that he had had some hunting experience that sounds like uh, seven or eight years uh, in Colorado over the counter, um, has harvested one bull, and uh, had a bunch of questions for his Arizona Unit 8 Archery Elk hunt. And I thought uh, the best thing to do was to have this conversation record it and uh, a lot of other listeners, I'm sure, have elk tags themselves and maybe can get some value out of the conversation. So with that, Jerry, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Jay. I appreciate you uh, you doing this and, and helping guys like me out that, uh, you know, that have kind of struggled a little bit and, 
you know, and, and going into new areas, it's always good to have a little bit of uh, experience to help you out with. Sure. Um, just to get, add a little bit of context to this conversation, uh, why don't you tell me uh, and the listeners, just tell me a little bit about your hunting experience as far as archery elk hunting um, and the success that you've had and, and uh, you know, some of the struggles or some of the things that you think, uh, you know, potentially you need to work on or, you know, things that, you know, have gone awry and then I can kind of have that in the back of my mind when we're having our conversation. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, um, you know, started in 2008 and, and have been going out to Colorado primarily on and off uh, over over the counter tags and uh, really didn't have much experience except uh, Midwest whitetail hunting, you know, sitting in a tree stand and, and that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, a couple of buddies and I went out and, uh, you know, we get, certainly got in over our head in the beginning. Um, I think, you know, our, our biggest issue over the years has really been kind of being a bit too timid with with how we're how we're uh, addressing the elk, and then and really struggle just kind of finding them on those public lands, and uh, and then when we did find them, you know, it's like, oh no, what do we do now, right? <laughs> so yeah. There's a yeah. bull over there that's bugling or whatever. So like, okay, oh, oh uh, what do we do? We kind of freeze up, and so that yeah, that's no, kind of been, yeah. Go ahead. To- totally understandable. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, 2017, finally things came together, and and you know, I I just, uh, you know, I, we'd heard some some elk the night before, and we set up our camp probably too close to where the elk were, but luckily I got in early in the morning, and I and I heard heard a bunch of elk talk, and I just kind of trailed them and did some cow calling behind them, and uh, they went off into some deep deep thick stuff, and. Uh, so I just kind of stood there and said, all right, what am I going to do? Well, I knew there was another little area I wanted to go to. So I had a little break in the morning, and then I, I turned around, and coming up the trail behind me were two bulls. And I was like, holy crap, they must have been trailing those other elk. And uh, so uh, I got an arrow knocked, and, and the one bigger bull, he, he, was, he had his nose to the ground and was just walking right up the same path that I did. And another smaller bull was behind a pine tree and just, just thrashing the pine tree and kind of, you know, not really sure what was going on, but having a good time. And that uh, bigger bull, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't like what he smelled, so he just slowly kind of walked away. And the other bull, like I said, he was just kind of clueless. And, and I said, well, he, he's given me the opportunity so, and, and an open shot. So, so I made a good shot on him and recovered him later. And um, had a nice pack out. So that, that was been kind of our experience. We, we've had some other opportunities uh, and just really haven't been able to seal the deal. Okay. Uh, from your accent, it sounds like you're from the Midwest, uh, maybe Michigan or somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, from Michigan. Uh, grew up in, in the middle of the, the lower peninsula there and then went to uh, Michigan Tech University uh, for an engineering degree up in the UP. And uh, and then got into the automotive industry down in Detroit area. Um, okay. Worked worked there and you for live now in Arizona. Yeah, about 2013, my family moved out here to Arizona, and it's been it's been awesome. We really love it out here, and uh, you know, quite quite surprised. We we've been looking at moving to Colorado, just just not too many automotive jobs in in Colorado. So not really in Arizona too, but you know, got lucky and found found an opportunity here. Good, good for you. Um, one thing yeah. I hear you saying there that needs to be pointed out, um, talking about, you know, following some bugling elk and then and then you kind of all of a sudden found yourself right between the herd in essence that had a couple trailer satellite bulls, you know, following the group like you were following them. Um, that's a huge thing for people to always understand is that if you can kind of get in there with them, it's always kind of hard when you're behind them to follow elk, but a lot of times, if it's a real chaotic group, lots of bugling, and, um, you know, you're not too picky, you can kind of get in there and get some scragglers that are kind of coming up, uh, you know, from the back, and, and so it sounds like you did that. Uh, one thing I'll tell you, so is this your first uh, archery elk tag in Arizona and first, uh, you know, bugling hunt in Arizona? Yes, it is. It's my first first bull tag. Um, I did... I did draw a couple of cow tags up in 7W early on, and and was able to to, to you know rifle rifle hunt there, and I was able to shoot a cow up there, uh, one out of okay. the two years. 
but yeah, first so, archery one. So yeah, pretty excited. So about one it. thing, one thing that immediately jumps out at, at me is if you're used to Colorado elk hunting. Uh, in Colorado, you usually have to park at a trailhead and have you know a couple, two, three, four, five, six miles even more of a hike in pretty rough, pretty steep terrain just to get back into the elk country. Uh, one thing that is going to kind of be uh, throw you off a little bit, but I think in a good way, is that Unit 8, as well as a lot of the other units in Arizona, are just covered in roads. Uh, most of Unit 8 is, is in uh, National Forest Ground, and there there are literally, you know, pretty good gravel county-type maintained roads all over the unit, and then there's, you know, obviously two-track roads uh, throughout the unit. So uh, you're going to be able to cover a lot more country quicker, more efficiently, you know, being able to hunt from one end of the unit to the other a lot, a lot faster. And I think that's going to play into your hand of probably being able to get in more encounters uh, than, say, you would in Colorado where you have to hike, uh, you know, four or five miles. And then once you get there, then you have to, you know, camp or, you know, if you're just day hunting from a trailhead, it seems like by the time you get up in there, you know, the morning's already done. They're already moving to the bed. So make sure that you use the road systems um, in Unit 8 uh, to your advantage. Uh, it sounds like you've already talked with the WM uh, in the unit, the, the wildlife manager, um, and I would encourage you to talk to as many people as you can to talk about, you know, specific areas, specific spots. Uh, but make sure, like, when you're choosing a camp, that you choose a camp where you have pretty good accessibility, um, where you can go north, south, east, west. In other words, I wouldn't, unless you, you know, do a bunch of scouting and find, you know, a group of elk that you want to hunt, I wouldn't shoehorn yourself into one particular spot or the other. I would kind of camp in an area where you can cover, you know, drive 10 miles one way, 10 miles the other way, 10, you know, and basically cover all corners of the unit from a kind of a centralized camping location. Um, so let's start with that. Uh, and I know you've got a, a list of questions. So let's just dive into those questions, and then we'll chase little bunny trails as we go here. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. You know, and that, that's kind of the advice the, the a wildlife specialist gave me too, and, 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 and you're spot on. It, it kind, of, kind of throws me off a little bit because then I, you know, access roads and drivable roads mean to me more hunters, but um, I, I guess, you know, being a, a limited draw or, or draw type unit, it, it means that there probably aren't as many as I'm used to seeing out in Colorado. Well, let, but, let's, let me address that for just a second because, you know, sometimes in Arizona, people will camp right in the middle of the elk, literally, like you may scout it out and they're like, you see elk in the same meadow every time and it's right, you know, not too far off the main road, off a two tracker and there's somebody camped there. Very, very common. What I would tell you is, you know, some of the biggest bulls in Arizona have been shot within eyesight of people's campers. So that's just the reality of it. So you almost yeah. have to just accept that. And those elk are pretty used to it, too. Unit 8 uh, is, a, is a very camping-oriented unit all summer long. There's people camping in all those different campsites. So those elk get used to it. Um, you know, it's not like they're going to come, you know, eat out of your hand out of the camper door. Uh, but, you, you know, one thing to add is, you know, they, they're, they're not afraid to continue to rut at night in those meadows and areas where people are camped by, but they tend to boogie out of there in the mornings pretty early as people start starting their vehicles, their generators, and what have you. So if you do find some areas where bugling bulls are, make sure that you understand that they're probably going to get an early start. You may hear them bugling all around your camp, but they're probably going to start moving away back into the timber from there as soon as the first trailer light in the morning and the, you know, the coffee maker goes on, uh, they're going to start moving. So if, if you have to use that kind of as a strategy to you know, tuck in behind and let them all filter by you, that might be a deadly thing. But let's just dive into your questions now. Yeah. Okay. Well, w one of the things that I, I was curious about, and and I'm not really hung up on 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 points and and that sort of thing. I, I'd like to get a mature bull, but what what kind of caliber bull can I expect um, in this unit? Yeah, so, so unit eight, 
uh, well, let's take a general look. Arizona this year with the moisture that we've had, phenomenal moisture, great winter. Um, I'm expecting most all of the units in the state of Arizona to be at maximum capacity. In other words, bulls will be at their peak, whether they're a you know, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old bull. Whatever their genetics and whatever that, that particular bull, they're going to be at their peak. So in Unit 8, um, I think there will be some 360, 370, 380 bulls, maybe even a bigger bull uh, harvested. Uh, I think if you're able to hunt the whole hunt very feasibly uh, that you'll see multiple bulls, you know, in that 350-plus range. Um, I think every day it's, it will not, it would not surprise me if, you know, you have multiple sightings of bulls, you know, 300 to 340. Um, mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of those bulls that are, you know, 310, 320 bulls. Um, I'm expecting a lot of, you know, nice six-point bulls with, you know, 8-inch, uh, 8 to 10 to 12-inch, you know, fifth points. I'm expecting good fronts on most bulls. Uh, unit 8, they tend to be, you know, good, heavy, solid bulls. Um, so, I mean, mm -hmm. for you to shoot a bull over 300, that, uh, and, and, and most people having, a, you know, pretty good opportunities at, at, you know, multiple bulls over 300 uh, would be my expectation. Um, you know, a lot of it's just going to depend on being at the right place at the right time. But, you know, I think if a solid you know, if you've only shot one bull and a solid 330, 340 bull gives you an opportunity, I would probably um, let them have it for sure. I mean, I don't want you to think that there's, you know, 350 bulls every single, you know, every single day. Um, but I would bet that you'll see 330 bulls every single day. Yeah, I think if I saw a bull that size, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I, you know, I'm, I'm used, to, used to seeing the small That's ones, good. you know. BC, Colorado. So it's, you know, I think I'm going to have a hard time just kind of controlling myself and, and understanding, uh, you know, what, what I'm looking at, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, I did, yeah. as a side note, I, I did find uh, a couple of your articles on, on Go Hunt on, uh, on sizing the bulls, and that was pretty good information uh, using the magic uh, 200 number. So yeah. I'm studying that a little bit to try to get myself uh, ready and, and, and not have too much of an itchy trigger finger. So, but yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah so I, I, I think it yeah, all comes down to like what you want. You know, if you'd be, if you know right now you'd be happy with a six point bull that's, you know, a, a 300 inch bull and, and, you know, you'd be just tickled pink, then, you know, if you get a good opportunity at a, you know, solid six point bull, shoot them and be tickled pink and, you know, put in for the draw. And, you know, one thing about being a resident is, you know, you can draw some of these tags. Uh, you know, what I would call Unit 8 is kind of an upper-middle-tier unit. I mean, you can draw these with, you know, four, five, six years, seven years. I mean, it's not like it's a lifetime. Um, and, and you could likely draw two years in a row. So, um, you know, I would. it sounds like your expectations are set. I've heard guys in your same position where they're like, yeah, I've killed one bull and I want to kill a 350-plus or nothing. Well, I think that's a bit ambitious because, <laughs> you know, not that you couldn't go out and shoot a 400. You could. I mean, you could literally shoot a 400-inch bull in Unit 8. They've, they've shot them there. And I think this year is going to be phenomenal. Last year was a rough year. I think there's a lot of holdover bulls. Um, but you have to be realistic with your own, you know, I think a solid 320, 330, 340 bull, I, I, you know, be, do backflips if you can get one of those. I, oh, I absolutely would, and you know, and I'm, I'm kind of banking on on what you said too. You know, I I drew this this tag with I think four or five points, and and my uh, percent opportunity was like eight percent. So I had I had no expectation of drawing this, and, and in fact, my second choice was the same unit in November, and uh, gotcha. actually my buddy my buddy drew that one. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about the opportunity that maybe in you know another four or five years I can I can get back in here or somewhere else. So, yep. yeah, um, I, I, my expectations aren't too high. I'm not looking to get on a magazine of a cover or anything like that. I just want to get a nice big bull, you know, nice mature bull, um, and, uh, and and try to call them in and, you know, however that scenario works out, uh, I'd be pretty excited with that. Good. And plus, I need to bring something home because my wife might give me a hard time because she really likes to eat elk. <laughs> Good. I come home and Good. <laughs> okay, great. Awesome. I love it. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the hardest things, I think, is, is getting started. You know, gosh, where do I start? You know, I mentioned in, in, in the email I sent you that I did a little turkey hunting um, in this unit in an area. And, you know, and it is off one of the main main roads that cuts through through Unit 8. And my concern was, well, you know, there's there's campers everywhere. And um, I didn't really run into any turkey hunters, which surprised me. But um, I, I was thinking that, man, this, this seems like it'd be a very, you know, um, heavily hunted area. Um, and, in fact, I, I ran into, I, I found a couple of bulls while I was in there turkey hunting, which was pretty cool. So that's kind of why I was trying to figure out, you know, what I should do. Um, where I should go, how, how, how to go about it, you know, try to understand, you know, wh where to expect the most hunting pressure and, and whether that's because that's where okay. the animals are or that's because um, of the access. Okay, so l let, me, um, let me talk about Unit 8 specifically. Now, I don't know Unit 8 very, very well, but I know it a little bit. And what I would tell you is, you know, you've got the stuff to the north, um, you know, towards Williams and what have you, and the further north you go, you get tons of pines, and then as you go further out to the south and as you kind of go out to the west, you drop off kind of the what I would call like the plateau a little bit, and you drop down more into the pinion junipers, and so Unit 8 has a mixture of country. It's got tons of pine trees, and then it's got what I, what I would call pretty good low country, a lot of pinion juniper. Um, I would tell you that most of the hunters are probably going to be in the northern part of the unit, from the middle to the northern part of the unit. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the hunters are probably going to be, uh, you know, in the pine trees. Uh, most of the camps you're going to see are exactly what I'm telling you in those central, centralized areas where you can kind of go, you know, north, south, east, west, and be able to get around. Um, and... You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The one thing, where do you start? Um, what I would do and what I always do when I have a new a tag in a new unit or if I'm guiding in a new unit or anything like that, I take the unit, I, I get the uh, Forest Service map, and I highlight your unit, okay, with a, with a yellow highlight marker. Then I get on Google Earth, and I don't know how familiar you are with Google Earth, but I... I do the perimeter of my unit, so on my Google Earth map, I've got all of Unit 8. Then I, in white, um, I go start adding paths, and I actually trace all of the main, you know, roads and arteries and two tracks and, and what have you, and I try and label my map as, as extensively as I can. If I see a dirt tank, if I see a stock pond, if I see a windmill, you know, if I see other points of interest, I'll label them on my Google Earth map. Um, and I've created a folder over on the left-hand side, so I've got my, I start with Arizona, then I go Unit 8, then I go, um, you know, then I start putting, you know, roads, uh, water holes, glassing points, you know, all that stuff. Okay, so once I have that, I import that map into my OnX map, so on my mm -hmm. desktop OnX, um, and I import that in there. As soon as it imports into my Onyx, it automatically is on my phone app. So then I make a scouting trip up there to the new unit, and this is what I'm recommending to you. You've already been up there. Um, but now you've got the map uh, on your phone. Uh, I save that Onyx map. Uh, you know, you can save it in a 150-mile, a 10-mile, or a 5-mile radius. I save those in 5 miles so that I've got super high resolution. Then I go up to the unit and I try and drive, and I tell people this all the time, I try and drive every road in the unit. Now, obviously, you're not, there's so many roads, you're not going to get to do that. <laughs> so what I would do is I would pick some main north and south arterial, you know, roads that you can, you can cover tons of country, drive, you know, 15, 20 miles south, you know, maybe loop around and drive 15, 20 miles north. Then I'm going to drive a road that goes way out to the west, out to the east, I'm going to try and look at as much of the unit as I can. And when I'm driving, I'm going to be taking note of where does it look green, where does it look dry. You know, this year it could particularly be green everywhere, okay? So if it's green everywhere, your elk are going to be spread out all over. If it's, you know, real green pocket and then, you know, for four or five miles it's a real dry pocket, I'm going to make note of that, that, hey, this is dry. Unless some big monsoon rains come in and hit, you know, 
probably the elk are not going to be in here. The other thing I'm going to look for is cattle. If there's tons of cattle or tons of sheep, I'm going to make a mental note of that, and I'm going to say, okay, this ground looks like it's pounded. The elk are probably not going to be here. Um, they're probably going to be on the other side of the fence somewhere. I'm going to also take note of pasture fences, and, and, and um, uh, I'm going to also notice where there's gates and where the access into those pastures are. Uh, and, you know, just because there's cattle in there right now, by, by September, the cattle could be out, it could rain on that ground, and fresh green grass come up, and all the elk pile in there. So that's a, you know, that's something to, to consider. Just because there's cattle there now doesn't mean it rule it out. Now, when you go back right before the hunt, if you notice all the cattle are gone, and you look, you drive and get out and walk around, and you see all this fresh green grass, because the cattle will eat the old grass down, It'll rain on it and fresh green grass. A lot of times the elk will pile back in there. Um, so now that you've got a, a broad sense of the unit, how to get around in the unit, which roads are better. If you know if you want to hunt way out west, this you know I go up to the highway, take forty, come around and, and you know use the pavement. Or no, this road's good, and if I blow down this road, I can I can get here you know quickly. Um, also, once you have a feel of the unit, you have good mapping of the unit, talk to as many people as you can. If, if you run into anybody else that's hunted Unit 8, you might run into a turkey hunter that you know, says, oh, yeah, my uncle had an elk tag in there, and you should try you know, this area or that area. You know, make, make notes of it, but be familiar enough with your map that you know, okay, when he says Round Mountain or he says you know, whatever area he says, you can go you you recognize that without going well where is that again um you know so know your maps know you know know which roads you know you can get around faster and what have you that's how i start then i start looking at water sources i start saying okay all these tanks west of this road are all dry or all these tanks east of this road are all dry okay that's that's something that i'll remember okay that's not good because the elk are not there now I'm also looking for tracks. If I see tons of elk tracks, I'm like, obviously the elk are here now. If I'm driving and see big groups of cows and calves, I go, okay, that's a good sign. The cows and calves are here during the summer. Uh, probably when they start rutting, there'll be bulls that will show up. Any, any questions on what I just rambled off there? No, no, not at all. No, I think that's a, that's a good strategy. And I, and I am familiar with, with, um, Google Earth, I use that, uh, and some other mapping software I have, and I do have Onyx Maps uh, that I've that I've had for about a year now, and it's it's pretty pretty really good. I really like it. Um, I have not used, uh, um, I've not pulled in Google Earth into Onyx Maps, so I'll give that a shot. Um, it's really but yeah, you know, easy. I kind of on on Onyx, you just go to a thing that says uh, My Content, and then you just go to a thing that says Import. And you can just import the file that you already have saved on you on your Google Earth, and it pulls it right in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I I've, I've pulled some tracks in, so it sounds like it's pretty similar to do that. Yep. Okay. Um. So so you mentioned something that is kind of one of my questions I had in here is you said hey if you find the elk in the summer or the cows in the summer you know likely you might find some bulls in that same area so the cows and and they kind of they kind of stay in their same area. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like this is a, a big migration unit where elk are migrating north and south or east and west, from what I can tell. So, you know, you know, focus on finding the cows early here because they might be easier to spot. And then and then when you get back in there, then that might be a good opportunity to find the bulls. Is that kind of what what I was hearing. Absolutely. So in the summer, what I'm doing is I'm looking for cows. I'm looking for cows and calves, and I'm looking for big numbers of group, and I'm looking for green grass. I'm looking yeah. for as many elk as I can find. I'm marking them on my Onyx maps. Uh, I'm making a mental note of, okay, I saw 15 cows here. Okay, I saw a big group of 50 cows here. And I'm going to go back as it gets closer to the season, and I'm going to check and check the sign, check the tracks, check the water holes. I'm going to make sure that those elk that I found in the summer are right there. And more times than not, the cows will be in the same spot. So 
if you find them in the summer or if you if you get down unit eight is not real glassable up in the pines but there are some bits of country to the south and out to the west in the pinion right. juniper country if you get up on a few of those knobs where you have vantage point and you glass it out there at first light and you see you know big group of you know 12 15 20 cows and you see uh, you turn around and you look out somewhere else you see okay here's another group of 30 or 40 I'm going to definitely make note of where are those cows, where are they out in the open, usually eating grass at night. Um, you know, first light, you catch them out there. More than likely, when you when September rolls around, th that same group of cows is going to be in that same meadow, but now there'll be, you know, three, four, five, six bulls around. So um, don't worry about necessarily where you see the bulls in velvet in the summer because those bulls will move to the cows. It's not super common for uh, especially older, mature bulls to be where they're at in the summer. Normally in northern Arizona and, you know, 8, 9, 10, uh, even, you know, 3C, 1, 27, a lot of those units, those bulls will move anywhere from 10 to 15, even 20, 30 miles. And they, they may wow. be in Unit 10 and rut in Unit 8, or the bull that you see in Unit 8 in the summer may rut in Unit 10. So all you're trying to do in the summer is familiar self, familiarize yourself with the unit and try and find as many cows, try and find the dirt tanks by walking around a dirt tank that look for cow elk tracks um, and try and find the, the areas and group, you know, the clumps of areas where the most elk are and that you're going to hit the ground running when the rut starts. Awesome. That sounds awesome. I, and I like this idea of the of what I call speed scouting. You know, I've I've been really kind of just all right. I'm gonna pick this area and I park the truck or camp there for the weekend and I just start hiking in and and, and just walking all day. Um, sounds like uh, that's probably yeah. That's not awesome. A, well, that's awesome. But what I would say is what I would do is I'd drive the you know camp in a spot. And pick a two or three, four mile, you know, area where maybe there's no interior roads. Drive the whole perimeter, okay? So you kind of get a sense of, okay, this is like a three or four mile square where there's no roads. And you go, okay, then park a truck. And if you have someone else there with you or something, park a truck and walk. And just cut cross country and try and look for sign, look for tracks. You know, are you seeing lots of elk tracks? Are you seeing no elk tracks? But you can also do that from the road. You know, you talk about speed scouting. Go to as many water holes as you can and look for cow elk tracks. Obviously, you know, if you've got a ton of cattle, you have to know the difference between a cow track and or cow elk <laughs> track and a cattle track, which obviously right. they're smaller. Um, and you know, look for tracks in the mud. Look for tracks in the in the in the dust if it if it uh, gets dry. Um, but I would cover more country in your vehicle than on foot, but definitely doing some hikes and just getting out in the country um, and getting a sense of the way the land lays. Um, there's a lot of canyons and a lot of drainages in Unit 8. Um, what I found in Unit 8, look for that oak. There's like oak brush and there's like oak trees. Um, yeah. They love they love being around that oak. So, if, you know, if you're... If you've already found a place in turkey hunting that's, you know, got quite a bit of oak, typically there's a lot of elk around that oak. Um, and, you know, depending on acorn crop, you know, they could be just stacked in there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, cover as much country in the vehicle as you can and then get out and walk around as much as you can as well. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I saw those, those couple of bulls when I was turkey hunting. It was up on a, on a ridge that had, that had oak trees all, all around it. They love it. Okay. Yeah. Good advice. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, okay. So um, maybe if we move into, you know, trying to understand, uh, well, oh, wait, you know, let me back up. So the junipers, I haven't really, you know, hunted too much in the junipers, but when I've been in there, it seems really dense and, and rocky in some of these areas here. Um, and, and one of the areas I've been in is like a Hell's Canyon, kind of Hell's Pocket area. And it's just, you know, flat up on top there. And, and it just looks like a place that elk wouldn't be. Are, are, are they, what are they eating in there? Are they eating the juniper so berries? They'll the, or? Yeah, they'll eat juniper berries, pinion, and ju, pin, pinion nuts and juniper berries. Um, but again, look for sign. And one thing I forgot yeah. to add is look 
in the summer for areas where there's old rubs, where the trees are torn up. If you go and you're walking or you go and you're driving and you don't see any old rubs, you don't see where the, the trees are literally torn up, the branches are torn up, and then all of a sudden you get to an area and there's rub, 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 rub. That's an area that the rut, the year before, they were in there thick and tearing up. Now, it, it, it's not foolproof. In other words, um, doesn't mean for sure they're going to be in there. But if it's green and, you know, if you saw tons of rubs but there's no grass in that area, I would probably mm -hmm. go, okay, it's dry here. They're probably not going to be here. But if you see tons of rubs and there's green grass everywhere, that's definitely an area that I would mark on my Onyx map that I found lots of rubs in this area and make sure to come back in September prior to the hunt or during the hunt and just look for rubs. A, a good rule of thumb is if you just look for rubs, you can find those areas where those bulls are going to be really thick uh, in September from prior years. And literally you can walk or drive and find those areas where you'll see them from the truck, like rub, 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 market. And you'll drive for two or three, four miles, nothing, and all of a sudden you just see rubs. Uh, that, that's a huge indication that that's kind of a rutting pocket. But back to your pinion junipers, um, pinion junipers are phenomenal areas for elk to bed in. Um, and it's also, pinion junipers are also awesome for stocking because it's such tight quarters that you, in, right. one of the challenges in the pines, especially in unit eight, is a lot of that's been prescribed burn. A lot of it has been clear-cutted where, yeah, the elk are in there, but you can't get within 150 yards of them because there's no cover. <laughs> the beauty of hunting in pinion juniper country is you can literally get on the other side of the juniper from them, and they don't know you're there. And so all they have to do is step out, and you've got your shot, and it's a 15-yard shot. So I personally love hunting pinion juniper country. I would tell you that, Find those pinion juniper areas, but find where there's meadows and where they have access to get out at night and feed in the open areas, and then they have access to go into the pinion junipers the bed. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it does. So if it's just solid junipers and there's no place, because if you've noticed, inside those thick pinion juniper pockets, there's not a lot of grass. So right. you yeah. have to find those areas where there's meadows and, and areas where there's grass growing. They'll be out there at night running around, and then they'll dive into the junipers uh, to go bed up, and then they'll come back out of the junipers to feed. And, you know, if you find those places and find those trails where they're using, uh, a lot of times I'll get up on knobs and glass, you know, morning and evening on different knobs and i'll try and say where's the grass where's the meadows where are the clump of trees where i first see them come out and a lot of times if you sat on that knob for five days in a row those same elk are going to walk out of the same group of trees into the same meadow every day until someone bumps them or or what have you and then you can put that away in the back of your mind if they always come out on the north end of that meadow which means they're bedding in those junipers and they're coming out to feed well when you go hunt you know right where they're at right is, is this a strategy you use while you're hunting uh and scouting or or both kind of both both, both. yeah okay i mean yeah. a lot of times through the hunt things change people bump stuff around and you're having to kind of adapt you're kind of having to Sometimes I'll just go glass in the morning or glass in the evening, and I won't even be hunting. I'll be trying. A lot of times, though, I'm trying to focus on one particular bull, or I'm trying to find a bull of a certain size. So I don't care if the whole 14-day hunt. I basically scout the whole hunt until I find the bull we want to shoot. Then we move in and shoot the bull. To me, that's the beauty of 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 what you're doing. You're not necessarily after the biggest bull in the woods you're just after a nice bull so you yeah. have the uh, option of just diving in there with them when they're bugling and calling and chasing bulls uh, I like to target specific bulls put my eyes on them try and figure out what they're doing watch them monitor them you know it might be two or three days before we actually move in and try and try and kill the bull um, so but with with your situation 
you you have the option to just you know hand to hand combat, dive in there when they're bugling, and you know just try and get a good bull killed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's great. You know, and it sounds like the junipers kind of play into some of the calling strategies where where the, the, the elk know where you're calling from, but they want to see you, and so they have to search you out a little bit more and get closer to really kind of find you, which which sounds like Absolutely. it might lend for, for much closer shots and kind of Absolutely. setting up, you know, that, that shooting lane that, that lets them get in there. That's okay. Yeah, I never, I didn't really and, think and about that. Yeah, and to take it a step further, I would kind of watch out for some of that country on the north side of Unit 8 and in the middle where it is so darn open. Yes, there'll be elk there, but they're, you're going to spend days pulling your hair out because you can't get close to them, and everybody's chasing them around, but they're basically just chasing them, and they can't get within 100 yards of them because you've seen those clear-cut areas where the pines are you know, trimmed up and it's been burned off. And, you you know, you literally can, with, you, with your own eyes, you can see 100, 130, 40 yards, 50 yards sometimes. Well, it's very difficult to get in on, you know, a bull with eight cows when there's, you know, 17, 18, 20 eyes looking at you. Um, I guess it would never be 17 because it's always be a round number. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's fine. I like those a little bit thicker areas where exactly what you're saying if you're calling they they you can get close to them and you can stalk in close and then call to them and they, they want to go ahead and close the distance and check you out and not hang up out there at 100 yards because they're like i i should be able to see the noise that's coming you know right yeah yeah. How, how is how is it? In, you know, the 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 junipers are the other thing. I think is those they're pretty low to the ground, the branches and stuff. So they they have a harder time looking underneath those to to try to Absolutely. find. Absolutely. Give juniper bushes give you phenomenal cover, and it's great. What I call hand to hand combat. It's great for calling. It's great for trailing the herd. It's great for kind of getting out to the side of them and paralleling and then cutting in. A lot of times you'll get, you know, intermix just these little tiny stringer meadows where you can kind of anticipate the path that they're moving. You get the wind in your face. The wind's obviously in their face because they're always going into the wind. But now you're paralleling them and you kind of button hook. And a lot of times if, if you get the right juniper situation where it's kind of just not the super thick stuff but where it's kind of a little bit broken, a lot of times that gives you the opportunity to pop out in your you know, 30, 40, 50 yard window where they're going to file through and you just wait for the cows to go and then you just draw back and, you know, 30, you get a 30 yard shot because the bull's going to follow the cows. So I would not yeah. overlook the juniper country in unit eight at all. Okay. Yeah. I was, I, I was a little concerned about that area just kind of based on, you know, some of the, the advice from the game and fish website. Um, where they say, hey, you know, that September stay in the 6,000, 6,500 foot elevation range, and some of that juniper gets a little bit lower than that. But uh, yeah, okay. and yeah. I agree with that um, to a certain extent. But if if a lot of the pressure is up in the pines, and yes, you'll hear bulls, and yes, you'll see bulls, but you're trying to kill a bull. So the closer yeah. you can get with a bow, the better off it's going to be. So don't overlook the, that oaky country and don't overlook that juniper country at all. Okay, awesome. Sounds great. Now, when, when you get when you get into to that situation where you've got, you you've, you say, all right, there's some some animals over here. Um, as the, these bulls, you know, are the the elk in Arizona, they they're pretty responsive to to the calls or bugling, or or is it just kind of, hey, I'm gonna set, set out a location bugle and 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 you know then cut the distance and and start cow calling and you got any good good tips for for strategies on on closing that distance on them yeah for sure so my impression is you're going to hear more bugling in unit eight than you've probably heard in colorado the seven or eight years combined and a lot of that <laughs> has to do with just awesome. the fact that you 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 don't have a five or six mile hike every day to get up to the elk country or get into the elk country um, you can, especially if you're able to use your vehicle at night and drive and listen and find the rutting pockets, find the areas where there's, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve 10, 12 bulls just, you know, beehived up and bugling. 
um, do a lot of that scouting at night, in the morning, early in the morning, you know, after dinner, you know, all night long, try and find those pockets, and you'll figure unit eight out pretty quick. Um, as, as far as strategies to get them closer and call them in, um, you've probably heard Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources on my podcast before. If you haven't, there's probably 15 or 20 episodes with him on the podcast. Highly recommend listening to all of those. Uh, I recommend Steve Chappell of Elk Camp TV. He, he was I was partners with him in the guide business for, I don't know, eight or, eight or nine, ten years. Um, he's phenomenal, so I'd listen to his sounds. Um and, and try and mimic his sounds, listen to Chris Rowe. I would recommend joining Rowe Hunting Resources. He's got all these strategies in action and all these different scenarios, and he plays them out on video and talks about it. There's a lot of analysis, plus on my podcast, you know, we do a lot of talking. But in general, this is what I want you to kind of get into is don't call too much. I don't know what level of caller you are. Call enough that if you need them to get going and, and bugling where you know where they're at and then try and stock on them as much as possible. And if you're a decent cow caller, try and get the wind right. Obviously, try and parallel them, try and kind of get out in front of them. And then if you're a decent cow caller, um, most of the time if you get pretty close to them before you do much calling, a lot of times they'll come check you out. Another good tip is to don't call directly at them. Use your hand to kind of if you want them to go to the right or you want them to go to the left, you know, or you want them to go, you know, come to you, don't call at them, call behind you. So in other words, turn your head and you can kind of direct the sound and, and you want them to walk by you, right? You don't want them to walk straight at you. You understand that, right? Oh, yes. yes okay, so you use your hand to kind of direct the sound. Obviously, you've got to play the wind. Um, and I don't do a ton of bugling. I don't actually do a ton of calling. I do it very strategically. I try and, okay, they're bugling on their own. There's no need for me to call. If, if you get out and you're hiking over to your spot and they're already bugling, I would be just slipping in quietly. Um, I would be using, you know, some sort of bear speed or safari stalker or some, you know, something on your feet to, to walk quietly and I'm just listening. I'm trying to listen and look for any elk that are close, but if they're already bugling, there's no need to call. Get the, obviously, always be checking the wind. Get as close to them as possible, and then you know, try some light cow calling, see what kind of response you get. If you, you, know, if you get more comfortable and you're, you, know, you make pretty good cow sounds, you can actually call in a lot of bulls by getting, you know, inside of, you know, 70, 80 yards before you even make a peep. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea. I, you know, I'm sure I think I'm a better caller than I really am. But, <laughs> so, but well, uh, you, you, I, know, you know if you've gotten good response, uh, and you'll know pretty quick if you're a good caller. If, if they're coming yeah. to you, then you're a pretty good caller. If they're constantly going away from you, then you're probably not as good as you think you are. So you'll just have to find that out when you when you get up there and mess with them. Yeah, you know, I, I am I am a member of the Row Hunting Resources, and I, and I really really like that that membership and website. It's been okay. it's been been yeah. phenomenal. A great resource. Uh, really, yeah, yeah, just just the whole concept of understanding what are the elk saying and what you should say back and and how and when. That, that's that's right. been, been awesome studying that quite a bit so okay right and i don't want to throw the buglers totally under the bus because there are guys that bugle very very well and they know when to call and what have you and the bugle can work great it can especially work great um you know just trying to kill pretty much any you know decent bull um so you know if you blow the bugle and you get good response uh then then i would say you know use it um, but it's very rare that I can see guys bugling and bulls actually like charging and coming over. I see more people having success with cow calling and having bulls run them over than with bugles. So in my mind, bugling is something you do to get something fired up to, you know, to, you don't hear anything. You bugle one time and two or three bulls answer. Now that gives you a, a chance to move in their direction. I very rarely see someone that can just take a bugle out and just start 
just literally bugling one bowl after another, just coming straight in. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, and for me and, and, and the guys I usually hunt with, that's that's kind of the scary part where we've we've run into our our timidity, right, or our reluctance to be aggressive is is our, our calling hasn't been that strong, and we're always afraid of blowing them out, and it, and it could be you know, some of that whitetail hunting hangover that we have where, you know, the, the whitetail are pretty twitchy and don't tolerate yeah. a lot. But Well, okay, yeah. I think these Arizona elk, you're going to find they're a lot more tolerable than some of your Colorado elk. Um, the, the, the Arizona elk are pretty used to people. They're, you know, a Colorado elk, if they smell you, you know, they're, they're three drainages over and it'll take you five hours just to get back to them. Arizona elk, I've seen them when they're, you know, all rutted up and going nuts. They smell you. They run literally three, four, five hundred yards, and they go back to doing what they were doing, screaming and tearing it up. So you've got to be aggressive in the fact that you've got to get that button hooked down. You've got to get, you know, the wind. They're always going to be going into the wind, period, always. Okay? Yeah. So so the trick is you always have to be have the wind in your face, but you've got to get parallel with them, you know, parallel, parallel, and then hook in where you, when you hook in, your scent doesn't blow to them, it's blowing past them, it's still, you know, blowing parallel with them, but if you're close enough where you can get into shooting position. Use use a crosswind instead of... Yeah, exactly, and then they're always going to swing downwind to try and get your wind of the sound, so if your friend is going with you, make sure that he understands that they're always going to swing to the downwind position of the sound. So he needs to be upwind of you because they're going to swing downwind of him. Do you understand that? Oh, yeah, I do, yep. Okay, okay. You can almost predict where they're going to come. They're going to cut 30 yards below that sound that he's making, and you can position yourself 30 yards on that side, on the downwind side of him, and pretty much going to have a pretty close shot because they're going to circle him and you'll be right there in position. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I think most of this hunt I'm going to be going to be solo, um, and, okay. and uh, you know, fortunately I, I do have the whole season to hunt. I, I was able to get that, uh, get that taken care of. So uh, I think okay. hopefully I'll have a couple buddies come out every once in a while, maybe on weekends or a day or two, but mostly solo hunting. Um, I, I, kinda, would, I would also tell you to, um, yeah. you know, being a Midwest hunter where you kind of grew up hunting and stuff is do not um, overlook the potential of setting a ground blind or a tree stand on a good wallow or on a good water hole that you find. Obviously, I need to warn you that if you do it on water holes that are very easily accessible right off roads and, you know, you always see trucks parked there, I wouldn't even mess with those. But if you find, you know, some little spot kind of kind of in the middle of nowhere or just some spot or you park your vehicle and just put a little sign that says hunter on stand, uh, if it gets warm during the hunt, uh, those bulls will pound those wallows, they'll They'll get their cows settled and bedded down, and they'll slip back at 10, 11, 12 o'clock, and they'll go lay down in the mud and roll around in those wallows. So, I mean, if you find a tank that's just getting hammered or a wallow that's getting hammered, I would not hesitate, um, unless you strictly want to kill one hand-to-hand combat, I would not hesitate to get up in a tree stand and uh, sit there and have, you know, probably multiple opportunities at good bulls coming into those wallows. Okay. Yeah, I did. I was wondering how effective that was. I, I have heard you know, call them horror stories of of you know conflicts at water holes, and, and so on, and and that most of those are usually easily accessible. But you said something that that I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit. You said, put a sign out that says "Hunter on Stand." Did I did I hear you correctly? Yeah. I mean, so. A good thing to do is if you've got a spot and you're going to be consistent and you really want to sit there and you haven't seen other people around there, you know, get there early. Don't ever, if you're planning to sit a spot, don't come in late and then be mad at someone else that's already there. Get there early, park your vehicle. Like if, 
let's say it's a two tr- it's it's like a county road and then there's kind of a main two tracker and then like you know then there's a little two track that drives down to the tank and maybe it's 300 yards away well park your vehicle up where it forks down to the tank and mm. park your vehicle so it's real clear i'm a hunter put a little paper plate that says hunter on stand um you know uh hunter in tree stand and mo- 99% of hunters are going to go oh there's a guy sitting there okay and they'll they they won't walk down to the tank they won't drive down to the tank they won't bother you and a lot of times they'll leave most of the time that's going to happen i think a lot of stuff where people take advantage of that is they start you know nailing up on trees hunter down in stand well they're not even down there you know I put it, yeah. I would say I've seen them where you, people put them by their vehicles and just say, uh, appreciate common courtesy, hunter on stand, good luck to you, you know, and be there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Don't expect to roll up at 5.30 and, you know, put, a, put, your, put your sign up. Get there way ahead of time, and then that way if someone pulls up, they're like, oh, somebody's already here, and most of the time people will respect that and move on. Okay, yeah, that, that's great advice. I didn't, uh, never would have thought of that. Cool. What else awesome. you got? Um, well, kind of the last thing, you know, I think I have cause, um, is, you know, be, being mostly solo, and, and I'm assuming it's going to be fairly warm in September. Um, what, what, what kind of tricks have you done uh, to get the, get the meat out? You know, maybe this isn't an issue because of the all of the roads that aren't you know too far from hunting areas. But do you have any any good tips for for uh, yeah for sure are, yeah yeah for sure. First, are you do you have a truck? Do you have a quad? What what's your setup? What yeah, so I, I have a couple, couple of different different things to do. I, I have a I have a little you know um, sit on top grizzly you know Yamaha grizzly. Okay. Uh, yep. four-wheel drive and, and i have a and i have a pickup truck so okay. um yeah. so with the meat what i would do in because there's roads all over in unit eight what you're going to do is if you get a bull the first thing you're going to want to do is if you can get it in the shade get it in the shade you know if you can drag it in the shade great the first thing you're going to do is you want to get that hide off of that elk as quickly as possible so if you can get back to your vehicle and either get the vehicle to the elk or get your quad to the elk uh, that's what I would recommend get the vehicle to the elk and immediately start processing that animal Uh, get the hide off of that animal and get the you know have your game bags and get the quarters off that animal and try and you know get it hanging get get air you know breathing through it and get that cooling off uh you could also potentially if you're going to be by yourself uh be prepared that if you could drive your truck to the elk get a couple of come-alongs and potentially be able to use come-alongs and put the whole elk in your truck if you're planning to take it to a processor there are several processors right there in the Williams area. Um, also, there's a little town there. I can't think of it. There's like parks. Um, there's several processors. So if potentially, if you could get that elk, whether you have to cut it in half or use a come-along and get it in the back of your truck and take it to the processor, that's one thing. But I like to skin the elk myself. I like to quarter it up uh, and do the whole thing and get it hanging in game bags, get it hanging in, in the shade and then take the meat in uh, as quickly as possible to let it hang and cool. Sometimes those processors will let you just hang your meat there. Um, you know, at night in Unit 8, it stays pretty cool, so you could hang them, you know, overnight if you shot in an afternoon. The very first thing in the morning, then I would take that meat in um, to the cooler. Sometimes they'll let you freeze it. Um, and then, you know, I like the gutless method. That's what I like the best, but the biggest thing is get the the hide off of the meat as quickly as you can and right. get it hanging as quickly as you can in the shade okay and then it um i think i thought i read somewhere uh on the in the, the regulations 
uh, for Arizona that some of the areas they, they allow you to drive up to a mile off Correct. a okay. Yeah. And so and I don't that. I'd have to look to see if it's a mile, but you absolutely uh, in most all cases are allowed to retrieve your animal with a vehicle. So if you can get your truck to it, if you can get your quad to it, I I would have, you know, your 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 game bags and everything easily accessible. So as soon as you shoot an elk, you've got a game plan and you've got your knife, your knives, your saws, everything you need. You know, your rope, if you need to hang meat bags, you know, all this different stuff. Have it in a specific bag that you either carry in your quad or carry in your truck or both so that if you were to get one, you know, get get to it as quickly as possible and get to working on it as quickly as possible. Okay. Yeah, that's good advice. I, You know, doing all the OTC hunting in Colorado, I usually have that stuff on me every day, you know, as a, there you a go. kill kit and game bags and... You, um, I, I, I like that gutless method too. I think it's it's pretty awesome. Um, and you think that's a, a quick enough scenario to get the the um, meat cooled down uh, in in the middle yeah, of the I afternoon? Mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the reality is, yeah, the reality is you don't have any other option. You have, I mean, no matter when you shoot it, you've got to immediately get after it and start taking care of it, uh, and right. get it getting the hide off it and getting that meat hung up. And, you know, I would call some of the processors up there and find out, can I hang meat? If you don't do the processing, can I hang it to cool the meat? You know, if they say no, just, you know, keep calling around and know all of your options. Like, this place does allow me to hang meat. I want to do my own processing. Or go ahead, you know, Casey's Processing and Flagstaff, and there's several in Williams. You know, find the ones that you want to use. And figure out, are you open after hours? You know, can I call you at 2 in the morning? You know, figure all that out so you know and maybe even stop by there and introduce yourself and say, you know, if I get an elk, I'm bringing it. And they may say, hey, I have someone here 24 hours a day. Uh, and, you know, here's the cell phone. If you get an elk down at 1, 1 a.m., text me and we'll make sure someone's there. It's better to over-communicate. Yeah, for sure. For sure, that's that's a uh, that's a good plan. Okay. Um, awesome. Hey, w w if I can circle back real quick, I know we've been maybe an hour here, and probably need to wrap it up. But um, one one of the things I, f I forgot to ask you uh, when the bulls are are vocalizing and and so on, have you found that the bulls uh, tend to shut down as the hunting pressure? cranks up and, and, and guys are running around calling and they, they tend to get a bit more shy? Um, or Yeah, or so unit eight at times can be a finicky bugling unit. My anticipation for this year, as good as the feed is, I think it's going to be a good bugling year in unit eight. What I can tell you is probably uh, the opening day of Friday and Saturday, you're going to have good bugling action, and then it's very common to have kind of that Sunday lull because they've gone, you know, with no pressure and all of a sudden quite a bit of pressure for those two days and it's very common we call it like the, the opening weekend sunday lull they kind of may be quiet sunday morning sunday evening and then i anticipate during the week you know monday through uh thursday friday before people show back up for the next weekend you'll have good bugling action but yes unit eight at times can kind of you know just kind of roll out it just depends on how intense the rut gets um and you know i'm expecting you're going to have some mornings where you're just like man they were bugling like crazy and then you could go back a couple mornings later in the same spot and the same elk are right there and they're just kind of a lot quieter so unit eight is not one of the units that i would say is just a you know katie bar the door it's just going to be a bugle fest the whole time, but you definitely are going to experience some mornings and evenings where they just go bananas. Um, again, I would highly recommend using your vehicle at night to drive, and we've talked about this a lot on my podcast and prior podcasts that you can listen to, but drive, stop the truck, roll your windows down, you know, shut the lights off, just turn the truck off and immediately stick your head out the window. Don't open the doors. Just sit there and listen. 
and then drive down a mile and turn the truck off, sit there and listen. Ten minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, and you'll find those pockets and those areas where there's, you know, ten bulls and they're going nuts. And mark it on your map and keep going and try and do that as much as you can. And if you do that for, you know, the whole time you're there, you will find pockets of just bugling bulls. You may find that the west side or the north side or the east side, you know, they're bugling way better over here. So hunt there for a few days, you know, and, and then, okay, they've kind of shut up. Okay, now I'm going to drive at night and find some other pockets of bugling bulls. Um, that's one of the most effective things you can do to cover country in, an, in a unit that you, you don't know very well is listen for them at night. Don't call to them. Don't mess with them. They should be bugling on their own, and you'll be able to find those hot zones where they're, where they're going nuts. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Uh, sounds good, Jay. I, I, you know, I don't think I have anything else that right now. I mean, uh, a lot of information. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me. Yeah, no sweat. I hope you have a great hunt, and um, I hope you uh, send me a picture of you with your first Arizona bull, uh, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy the experience of Unit 8. Uh, it's, it's a really good, uh, pretty, uh, you know, neat unit. Um, you'll get the full Arizona elk hunting experience, and um, I would not surprise me if some really nice, really nice bulls come out of Unit 8 this year. I mean, it will not surprise me if, you know, some 370, 380, 390 bulls come out of there this year. Wow, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I would do if I saw a bull that size. <laughs> you know, like well, I said, I'm used to the I'm used to those those uh, OTC Colorado bulls, and you know they're they're not uh, they're not as big. At least the ones I've seen haven't been that big. But awesome. Well, okay, yeah, uh, for sure. Hope you have a great I, hunt. Yeah. Hope yep. you have a great hunt. I'm glad you're uh, dialed in with Real Hunting Resources. Uh, also, um, I've been doing a field judging elk um, kind of seminar tutorials on my Instagram. I don't know if you're on Instagram, but anybody out there listening. Uh, all summer long, I'm going to be doing field judging elk, trying to help people, uh, you know, estimate the actual measurements and and also use the magic 200 method. Uh, I'm also going to be kind of highlighting some of the better elk callers and point out some of the things that they do really well on my Instagram page. Um, so, yeah, uh, any way that I can bring value, I appreciate all the listeners out there, and I appreciate uh, your uh, willingness to come on and kind of. Uh, you know, air your questions out for everyone because I, I think a lot of people have, you know, a lot of the same questions you had, Jerry, so appreciate it. Oh, no, yeah, no problem at all. Anything to help out. And, uh, again, I, I can't say thank you enough for what you've been doing for, for guys like us that are, are trying to get out there and hunt, whether it's elk hunting or turkey hunting. Right on, buddy. Thank, thanks. Excellent. God bless. Uh, hope, you, hope you have a great hunt. Thanks, Jay. Take care. All right, bye.